Welcome to The Beacon, your connection to nonprofit success. Now here's your Lighthouse Council host. Hello and welcome to The Beacon Podcast, your connection to nonprofit success. I'm Margaret Gardner, your host for today's discussion with Bernard Ross. Bernard is the director of the Management Center, a global management consultancy working in the social impact sector. He's also the author of numerous books, including his latest titled Change for Better, which brings behavioral science out of the academic halls and makes it relevant to practitioners promoting social good through charitable fundraising. Welcome, Bernard. Nice to see you, Margaret. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for being with us. Bernard's areas of expertise are strategic thinking, innovation, and decision science. He works with senior teams and boards developing strategic capacity and on the application of decision science to campaigns, communicating, and fundraising. Bernard has worked for over 20 years with not-for-profit organizations, helping them transform their performance. Bernard is a prolific author, as well as a regular keynote speaker on international platforms such as the Association of Fundraising Professionals, the Institute of Fundraising, and the Resource Alliance. Again, Bernard, welcome. We're so happy to have you joining us on the Beacon Podcast today. Great to be here, Marco. Um, so let's jump right in. Can you start at the beginning and explain what behavioral science is and how it influences fundraising? Yeah, so behavioral science is the science of how do people make decisions? How do people make decisions about who to fall in love with, what jobs to take, and of course, in a fundraising sense, which causes to support and how much to give to those causes. It's called a science because it's, you know, it's based on a body of knowledge that's evolved over the last 20 years. Well, actually, when I say a body of knowledge, it's really three bodies of knowledge. One is what's called evolutionary psychology. You know, we all have in our heads a 200,000 year old brain. You know, that's when the modern brain evolved. And uh, it's not really equipped to deal with contemporary society. So, for example, one reason why lots of people eat more than they should do is because our brain is still in that mode which said, you know what, here I am hunting in the plains of Africa. I better eat whatever there is because there may not be something there tomorrow. You know, so we, we have this 200,000 year old brain evolutionary psychology. There's another bit of uh, learning called uh, neuroscience. So we can now look inside the brain thanks to functional magnetic resonance imaging. You know, we can actually see where in the brain lights up? Where is that activity when we're doing certain things? So one interesting thing we know is that if I give you a present and you give me a present, the same area of the brain lights up giving and receiving, which, of course, explains the principle of reciprocity. You know, we just, we just didn't know what the neurological reasoning behind that was before. And then the last area of science is what's called behavioral economics, developed by uh Kahneman, who wrote Thinking Fast and Slow, which is about how do people make decisions in a kind of behavioral sense. And these three bodies of work have come together to form behavioral science or decision science, it's sometimes called. You mentioned, Margaret, earlier, you said we've taken this work out of the academic halls. We've also taken it out of the supermarkets. When you go to a supermarket, you know, every shelf, every product, every light, every corner is organized in a psychological way to make you buy more. And I think we have to catch up with, uh, with the work that uh, business is using as well as academics and make sure we use that work ethically in fundraising. So it's the ethical application of uh, some of this Nobel quality science 
to fundraising. Long explanation, but there you have it. Well, I'm going to ask you to make it longer. Address what you were just talking about with the ethical application of this. Well, so that that's into you know, uh, we, you know, we quite often see things, images, messages encouraging us to buy things in a in a commercial sense that we feel uncomfortable with. You know, you know, a cream that's designed to make you not like your skin. So you buy the cream because you don't like your skin when your skin's perfectly fine or make you feel you're too old or too young or too fat or too thin or too tall or too small, you know, or eat this very sugary cereal when it's not very good for you. So so I think those things are unethical in, in a commercial sense or, you know, buy this insurance policy when it's, it's actually not very financially worthwhile. Some fundraising, you know, it's then possible to see how you could apply those things to fundraising. You know, you could encourage people maybe to give more money than they really are able, confident. You know, if you think about an older, perhaps an older person, not not quite as sharp as they might once have been, being convinced over the phone by a telephone fundraiser to make a gift that's more than they really want to give or, you know, giving to a cause that's not quite what they understand it is. I mean, I think I can see how to do those things and I worry that those would be unethical. So there's a big issue here about the, the importance of using power, psychological power ethically. I, I mean, I've got some examples of that, but uh, I think that's an important issue to think about how we do that ethically. So the book, which uh, you very kindly mentioned, Change for Better, what we did is we wrote out to 24 leading global experts. Some of them are fundraisers. Some of them are social psychologists. Some of them are behavioral scientists and said, have you got examples where you've used decision science or behavioral science in fundraising? And those 24 people came back, some of them working in groups with 17 different chapters. So this is this is a, a book of 17 practical experiments carried out throughout the world. Some of them in Kenya, some of them in the UK, some of them in Canada, some of them in the US, some in Ecuador, some in Argentina, blah, blah, blah. So global, these are global studies looking at how have, how have, um, People use decision science or behavioral science to encourage donors to make gifts and what kind of ethical issues to come up with. So 17 fantastic, fantastic experiments looking at online giving to humanitarian causes in the USA, saving a zoo in Edinburgh and Scotland, persuading people to give more money through bequests in Australia. The, the world of fundraising is right there in the book. Can you um, share some of those, some of that information? Sure, of course. Lovely example, uh, for example, of um, quite an old school thing, a leaflet drop. So, you know, you know, uh, or, or an envelope drop. You go around a neighborhood, you put an envelope through people's door and say, I'll, I'll come back in a week's time. Please make whatever gift you can. Now, that's still a very popular mechanic in, you know, in many places. And in the UK, there's a great charity called Christian Aid who probably organised the largest leaflet drop in Britain. They, they drop something like 20 million envelopes. Once once a year, they make a big drop, 20 million envelopes, basically through every household in the UK. And they've been doing OK for years and years and years, but doing OK like this. And they decided to test, using behavioural science principles, six different envelopes. And each of the envelopes, as well as a what's called a control, you know, so the control was what they did before. And then they tested six different envelopes using different psychological principles. Um, and each of those envelopes had 
uh, at least quarter of a million examples. So that's a big data set. And then they looked at which produced the biggest response. So I, I'll ask you a question live, Margaret. I know you're not necessarily the biggest fundraising guru, but one uh, there was one envelope that had uh, a message in the front which said, this envelope was hand delivered by a, a local volunteer. There was another one that said, uh, if you give money in this envelope, it's very tax efficient. There was another envelope that wasn't didn't say any of that, but it was printed on slightly thicker paper. And there was another envelope which instead of being this way on, if you like landscape, was this way on, if you like portrait. So of those four, those aren't all of the examples, which do you think did best? Which do you think produced the highest result? Which do you think produced the lowest result? Just make a guess. And maybe listeners can have a go as well. I think the most popular one would have been delivered by the local volunteer. Is the wrong answer. Well, of course it is. <laughs> no, no, that's good. It's great. And most people say that because logically... You would think, well, that's a good thing. That means they saved money by having, you know, it wasn't, they didn't pay a company to do it. And people are always obsessed with, oh my God, you know, donors worry about blah, blah, blah. So shall I tell you what was the most powerful, what produced the highest result by 20% more? The was thicker the envelope, Margaret. The thicker envelope. Oh. So people didn't notice. It, the envelope was not so much thicker that people noticed it. It was just thick enough that people had uh, the idea of like, um, this is a higher value thing. Now, you know, I gave you the example earlier of how commercial organizations do that. If you go into a posh restaurant, so I'm not talking pizza here or Burger King, you go into a posh restaurant, they will print their menu on heavier paper and people pay more for restaurants where there's heavier paper or even heavier cutlery. Heavier cutlery encourages people to say, I'm happy that I paid more for my meal. That's insane. That's just true. Or if you're looking at resumes, someone who provides a resume on thicker paper, you will tend to look at two candidates with exactly the same qualifications. The one with the, the resume that's printed on thicker paper, an audience will say she or he is better qualified. Now, that doesn't make sense. Doesn't make any sense at all. Uh, just to finish off, the two examples which did worse, one was the hand-delivered. The one which did second worst was the one which said there's a tax break associated with this. And the two that did best, the highest performing was the weighted envelope. And the second highest one, turning the envelope from that way around to that way around. There you go. And why? Okay, there's a big... Ex we don't have time to go into okay. why. But I could explain to you why it is. Uh, well, I've explained to you why the weight one was. The one about orientation is an interesting one about spatial awareness. Um, but it's important to say that those examples are being tested based on known psychological principles. That's why they were testing those four different options. So, uh, well, in fact, six different options. So, um, so the book goes into which of the six were tried. I think that's really interesting as an example of the counterintuitiveness very often of the best ideas. And what decision science offers you is that common sense doesn't always work. No matter what our parents told us. No matter, or in fact, and not, no matter what we have told ourselves or our children. <laughs> well, 
<laughs> Bernard, as always, I could probably talk to you for a couple of more hours, but we, we don't have the time. We've come to the end. Briefly, we always like the big takeaway. So could you briefly tell us what that is from the book and from this conversation? Okay, well, good. well from the book, the big idea is that we have two decision-making processes in our head. This is nothing to do with left and right brain, but we have what's called system one and system two. System one is our irrational, emotional, it's the Captain Kirk, okay? And system two is our rational, logical, it's the, it's the Mr. Spock. And fundraisers very often think that Mr. Spock's in charge and actually Captain Kirk's in charge. That's why he's called the captain and the other guy's just called Mr. Spock. <laughs> so, you know, appealing to the rational side of people, you know, this is a good cause or we're, you know, we're very efficient. What the science says, that's not what works. What works is go with go with Captain Kirk. That's my, um, for your readers who are science fiction fans, that's the, um, that's the answer. Always go with the captain. You know, he gets it right. <laughs> well, thank you so much for that, Bernard. It's, it's always great talking with you. Um, and for those of you listening, thank you for being with us. Uh, we just want to make sure that you know that, Bernard's newest book is available through Amazon. And Bernard, is it? am I correct in that profits from the book will go to Doctors Without Borders? Yeah, go to Doctors Without Borders to help in their important, you know, we're obviously concerned at the moment about, you know, health challenges in our own countries. But, uh, you know, Doctors Without Borders are doing fantastic work. So all of the authors, you know, all of the, the 24 global experts came together and they all agreed to make their uh, any profits that go towards Doctors Without Borders. So um, a great buy. Great buy for Christmas, Margaret, if you're looking for a present for the whole family. <laughs> well, that's wonderful. <laughs> Thank you. Um, be sure to visit the Management Center website at www.mcconsulting, where Bernard updates his blog regularly, or you can follow him on Twitter at Bernard Ross MC. Please be sure to join us again for the next edition of The Beacon Podcast, your connection to nonprofit success. Thanks for listening to The Beacon, your connection to nonprofit success. Tune in every week for nonprofit topics with special guest interviews. Suggest future topics and learn more about upcoming podcast and guest at lighthousecouncil.com.